You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some unfamiliar, others forgotten, all fascinating. Hi everyone, my name is Jimmy Yap, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia a publication of the National Library of Singapore. In this episode of BiblioAsia Plus, we're going to talk about Dimidi, the Hindu firewalking festival. Dimidi takes place sometime between mid-October and mid-November each year, typically the Sunday before the Pavali. In Singapore, several thousand people will walk from the Sri Srinivasa Perumal Temple in Serangoon Road to the Sri Mariamman Temple on Southbridge Road a distance of about 5 kilometers. At the Sri Mariamman Temple, they will then walk, or perhaps run, over a bit of hot coals within the compound of the temple. The very nature of the event, firewalking, naturally draws a lot of attention. However, this public display of religious devotion has eclipsed an associated cycle of rituals that take place before the firewalking. The rituals play out over a period of three months before the festival. These rituals are an elaborate retelling of events from the Mahabharata, an epic poem from India. Dimidi has been celebrated in Singapore since around the 1830s. With me to talk about the rituals behind the festival and how they have evolved over time is Nalina Gopal. Nalina is an independent curator and researcher focused on South Asia and its diaspora. She is the founder of Andadi, an historical research and museum consultancy. Nalina has written about Dimidin Biblioasia, and she's here to tell us all about the festival. Hi, Nalina. Thank you for joining us. Tell us, you know, what is being celebrated at Dimidi? So Dimidi literally means walking on fire. So it's the firewalking festival. But of course, before the firewalking festival and slightly after it as well, there are rituals that take place and they really form a whole cycle of events that take place over about a three-month period. And they are all um, you know, rituals that are reenactments or a retelling of events inspired by the Mahabharata. And the Mahabharata is an Indian epic poem. That's right. The Mahabharata is one of the two great Indian epics, the Ramayana being the other. And the Mahabharata is one that is contained in 18 books. It's quite a fascinating story and it's definitely one aspect of how, um, you know, Indian culture has also, um, you know, impacted other societies. You definitely see its footprint in Southeast Asia and the many adaptations that have been produced in this region. So similarly, even within the subcontinent, there have been many, re, um, you know, um, recensions or adaptations of that epic. And, you know, inspired by the Tamil versions of the epic um, are the events of the Timothy Festival. And, and so, if, if I understand you correctly, so the, the, the Firewalking Festival is a culmination, but the, the lead up to that is... Is it a, a recounting of, of some events? So it's quite a mix of reenactment and retelling. 
um, because What's you see, because in the lat, um, in the reenactment, you actually have volunteers who assume roles, and they literally enact in the form of ritual theatre certain episodes. Um, for instance, whether it is the penance of Arjuna. Or um, you know um, some of the other elements that involve the presence of Draupadi or Krishna, um, the deity. Then you find that um, there is that element of. So that's what enactment. you mean by reenactment. You have people who are, who almost like actors and they reenact a, a scene, whereas retelling is just someone just um, reading out a scene. Reading out or the fact that the ritual is actually in the form of a prayer. I and, see. you know, some of it is actually retold in that sense. So, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so, how how is the act of firewalking actually related to, to Draupadi? So, Draupadi, uh, the worship of Draupadi is actually quite central to the performance of this, um, you know, festival. So, uh, Draupadi um, is one of the lead female protagonists of the Mahabharata. And she is the wife of the five heroes or um, the good brothers or the good cousins, the five Pandava brothers. So she, it's actually one of the early instances of polyandry. Um, and you find that Draupadi um, you know, has a very early connection to the element of fire because she's said to have been born of a ritual fire right. that was performed by her father, uh, King Drupada. And um, Draupadi is also, it is her narrative, which is actually quite a key turning point in the epic. It's her humiliation by the evil or the, you know, sort of scheming cousins of the Pandavas, the Kauravas, that leads to eventually the battle of Kurukshetra between the cousins. So, you know, she is really quite a pivotal character in the Mahabharata. Okay. And she's worshipped in a deified form as Draupadi Amman, um, or the mother goddess, in the um, you know particular instance of the worship related to her. Is it because she's born in fire? So that's why you know fire walking is um, central to this entire festival. I'm not sure that it is necessarily only that reason. There are actually a multiple reasons that could possibly be the reason why um, you know, she walked on fire, whether it was to prove her chastity after she was attacked by Kichaka to the Pandava brothers. That could be one reason. It could. Uh, it's also seen as perhaps a post-battle purification exercise when she has been avenged. Um, there are actually slightly different altering views on why she might have walked the fire. Timidi has been celebrated in Singapore since, you know, at least 1830. How have the celebrations sort of changed over time? I think change is a very important factor when you look at cultural practice because it changes from generation to generation. So almost every festival has that element of sure, change built absolutely. into it. But I'll just point out some um, that I've noticed. One, I think, um, you know, it's a common misconception that women don't walk the fire because of some um, religious reason. But actually, women walked the fire even in Singapore until the early 20th century. Oh. And there were just some instances where there were accidents. And then I think it was thought to be not safe for women. But you see women still active in many other aspects of the festival. 
um, but you know another change that you see is maybe certain discontinued practices with um, you know how ideas in society change as well so for instance some of the sacrificial elements when goat sacrifice used to take place that's not something that is prevalent anymore whipping again is something that is definitely not as prevalent as it was. Um, so I think there are certain elements within the festival's overarching framework that have been changing subtly. Um, you know, whether it is the changing of the observance of the festival from Monday to Sunday for, you know, purposes of um, convenience as well. Um, you know, all of these things are quite interesting. I, I didn't realize that it was... In the early really years, it used to be observed on a Monday. Oh, I see. Yeah, and um, I think it's quite interesting how human need also shapes, um, you know, the, how certain things are observed. Right. And of course, I think it's definitely much more organized yes, um, of course, of than course. it used to be. So I think these are just some very small changes that come to mind immediately. But of course, if we were to really look at that, I think that could itself be, um, you know, the subject of a paper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, in, in your essay on Timidi, uh, you talk. Uh, we you you interview a person who takes on the role of Draupadi, and in in your article, it is actually a man. Um, is that quite common that um, that it's men who take on the role of Draupadi? So, in my experience, I've not come across any women who partake in the ritual enactment um, parts of the festival, um, and uh, in the case of all of the characters, they're played by men. Um, but having said that, it's not as though women are absent from the ritual space. They do still perform certain rituals, um, you know, whether it is, um, you know, the performance of Kumbhudandam, which is a particular form of obeisance, or whether it is the lighting of Mavilak, or even in terms of, um, you know, um, circumambulating the temple space, um, you know, by rolling on the floor, the Anga Pradakshinam. So, you know, all of these are still things that women do um, as forms of prayer and ritual. So it's not as though they're entirely absent. And right. as I earlier mentioned, they even used to walk fire. That's right, that's right. It's just that they are absent from the ritual enactment, right. um, you know, part. Because you find, I mean, it's not just as the only in ritual enactment. Even in cinema, even in theater, mm. you found that men used to play all the roles right. up to a certain point. So I think it really points to maybe certain patriarchal practices in the performing arts a space that might have lent itself to this as well. In, in the writing of this, you had to do obviously a lot of research and that shows in, in the piece. But you also spoke to a number of people who have been involved in the different rituals. What was the most interesting that you learned when, when talking to all these people? So, I mean, I did have my curator hat on when I was still speaking to them. And I think what I really enjoyed was actually discovering some elements of material culture that are associated with well, the festival, right? So in terms of objects that actually are very specifically associated with this festival, I think the most fascinating ritual object is actually 
uh, an instance of craft making because you have the karagam that is built entirely by a volunt by volunteers. What is um, the karagam? So the karagam is actually the water vessel ah. that the chief priest or the pandaram carries on his head during the foot procession from the Sri Srinivasa Perumal temple to the Mariamman temple, and he walks the fire carrying that water vessel on his head. But uh, I mean that vessel is actually quite large because it has many elaborations to it in terms of flower, neem leaves, etc. Um, so you know the making of the karagam itself is quite a fascinating process. Um, it's also a ritual, of course. Right, right. And um, you know you you sort of understand the nuances of how that is made and some of the traditions associated with it. Um, you know, I also sort of got to see some of the other objects that have been associated with um, the festival, whether it was the kati or the knife that used to be used for slaughter, right. or just sort of also having conversations about the architecture of the temple. Right, right. And I think these were definitely aspects that appealed a lot to the visual curator in me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, what about the stories? I mean, did you hear in interesting stories? The stories were really infinite, Jimmy. I think, um, <laughs> okay. you know, there were so many stories that really spoke of personal, um, you know, memories of connections, um, you know, and I think also of how people have come together as a community to really make what we take for granted today as mm. these sort of rituals and, and parts of the festival. So, I mean, I think there was a volunteer who was part of the Aravan group, um, and, you know, he was speaking of how when they sort of, um, you know, took over that responsibility, um, you know, some of the rituals were not even registered and then they registered it. Right. And then, you know, it has reached the stage it has now because of the dedication of the group of volunteers and also the support that they've had. So I think, you know, um, people definitely shape how some of these rituals and festivals take place and I think that collective effort definitely came through. Um, I thought that it might be interesting for your listeners to know that Mariaman Temple was not always the site of the firewalking festival. Right. It actually used to take place along Albert Street and that meant that, you know, um, Albert Street was also given a Tamil name. So it used to be called Timidi Tidal or the open field where, you know, firewalking took place. So I think there are many interesting aspects that we might take for granted today, but, you know, it actually was quite different in the past. Right, right. And there are many little, little interesting things in that way, yeah. You know, of all the rituals that take place before the fire, and it's actually quite a lot, right? Um, and, you know, anyone who's interested should really read Nalina's article in Biblio Asia. But as a spectator, you know, which of these rituals minus the actual firewalking uh, is, is your favorite or, or, or speaks to you? I would say that more than a spectator, I just felt like I was a witness um, to what was clearly very much, um, you know, a ritual that many people were very deeply invested in. I think I was blessed that I had that opportunity to be able to witness so much of a collective focus and dedication. And I think the one that I really particularly enjoyed being there for was Arjuna's penance or Arjuna Tabasa. 
So it's quite fascinating, really, because you see that they have um, installed, um, you know, the Tabasumaram or the the tree of penance, which okay. was actually a bale tree that Arjuna is said to have done penance on uh, when he went to the Himalayas to get the bone of a particular weapon from the deity Shiva, which is the Pasupastra. And I liked how they had actually tried to recreate that environment and all of the, you know, elements of that narrative within the temple space. How did he do that? You have this, um, you know, um, sort of pole that is functioning as the tree and the pole has little branches that curve upward, which then become like handholds and footholds for when the volunteer who is enacting the role of Arjuna uses to climb up and then there's a platform at the top where he sits and he meditates and of course um, these days because of the benefit of um, you know technology you also have sound that helps you sort of transport yourself to that space so he meditates then at the end of that successful meditation uh, you know to really sort of give you the idea that Shiva grants him his presence and then gives him the weapon there's actually a drop down curtain that is suspended to one of the back like the upper stories of the temples, um, like viewing galleries, and it drops down. And, you know, there's a bit of light there. So it really gives you that idea that somebody has just appeared. Um, So I just felt like it was so nicely done and so simply done. And, you know, at the end of it all, he throws down, um, you know, like this garland uh, and... uh, sort of breaks it down and he throws it down to the people who are there and the devotees who are there and little children were so excited to try oh. and go and get it oh, and cute. I felt like I mean you know I, I think it's a huge way to engage um, you know your congregation or like the people who are there in the in this whole thing because narrative making and you know myth making is one of the ways that you know since time immemorial um you know human storytelling is really what has kept our cultures alive sure and you feel like you see them literally doing that in such a simple yet appealing way actually you know that that's very interesting you we, we talk about you know the children witnessing all these rituals but actually because I guess presumably because of the size of the temple, not a lot of the focus ends up being on the firewalking, right? This whole cycle of rituals that lead up to it, is that is it like well known that, you know, all these rituals take place and do people attend and, 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 and participate? So the temple publishes the calendar of events. It's displayed at the temple. The temple, of course, I mean, we're now in COVID times, but, you know, yeah. pre-COVID, um, it used to be one of the most popular tourist sites, apart from a place that is very much accessed by the local community for worship. So definitely people who visit the temple would know. But what the Hindu Endowments Board has been doing in the last few years is also quite remarkable. They've been doing a live telecast of all of the events. So actually, if, um, you know, um, anyone wants to see it and it's not yet time for the next uh, festival, they could actually visit the YouTube channel of the board and uh, be able to see every single ritual and how it is performed. So the whole thing. And actually, um, you know, uh, Mr. Palni, who works at Tamil Murasa, does a live commentary 
for um, you know visitors to understand the significance of the ritual so making things more accessible instead of making it so chim that nobody understands mm, 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 mm. it there everybody's really invested in making the you know significance of the festival really accessible now of course this might then be something that only if you access the temple physically or you came across it or if you're a researcher or you know someone like that um you know um and maybe if you're from other communities maybe you may not have the opportunity to go and engage with this but i think there's no sort of restraint and definitely the the rituals before timidi are not as crowded um you know so you know for timidi you would literally need like a pass or yeah, need to go yeah, really yeah. early to find a space but for the other rituals you know it, it's like the daily activities of the temple are ongoing so people could still come to the temple and witness the other um rituals taking place good question but would it be accurate to say that timidi is a much more in, not just a hindu festival but a tamil hindu festival or is is it actually am, am i completely off base here It's definitely a Tamil Hindu festival, but you do see firewalking in some of the other parts of South India as well. It's definitely a Tamil diasporic festival as well. You see it, um, you know, you see it in Singapore, you see it in Southeast Asia, you see it in South Africa. You actually see it uh, where you know many of the 19th century Tamil diaspora settled in. So it's quite fascinating that it's definitely together with Taipusam. something that you see quite prominently in diasporic um, tamil societies i i noticed that you know this is a, a, a obviously it's a hindu festival and uh, at the same time there seems to be like a, a very obvious minority of of chinese people who seem to be walking on the on the pit of or, or on the or who seem to be you know fire walking are these chinese hindus or uh, you know what is behind all this So um you know firstly I think for Timidi you see um fewer Chinese than you would have in the past or maybe um none at all depending oh. on the year um, So it's a very very small a small number but if you were to actually just cross the borders and go into Malaysia like if you go for the Sembayang Datu Chachar festival which is also a Mariamman uh, festival dedicated to the goddess um which also know, involves fire walking which involves an element of uh, fire walking but only some members of the community walk but as you see the whole festival because it, it also involves the carrying of the kavadi mm. right which is what you now see only during taipusam but even in singapore in the past during timidi there used to be the carrying of the oh, kavadi as okay. well so you know you find that they still the, the participation of the chinese community is still quite high there and generally in malaysia i think you'll find that even in taipusam is quite high um why um, you know are the chinese hindus i don't think that's necessary i think you know uh, they could be individuals who are either buddhist taoist or maybe even practicing confucianism and they feel like that they as individuals can actually then source what they want from mm. the different faiths um you know so sort of an idea of like a polytropic 
um, religious space. So they are able to actually access um, from different faiths what they feel they need for their spiritual right. or religious needs. So you find that they participate. And I think um, during uh, Taipusum, you might even see that some of their Kavadis might have um, you know, deities of other faith. Oh. So it's oh, quite I, interesting. I, 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 did not, I did not know this. So clearly then, um, Timidi, not so many Chinese people. In, uh, Singapore, in Singapore, I, do, I don't see as many as before but because when I look at old photographs, there are definitely a lot more Chinese deputies. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the numbers have reduced. Mm. But I think in Malaysia, you will see that in festivals associated, whether it's with the Mother Goddess or whether it's with Murugan, is definitely much higher the participation. Okay. Actually, so, so that, that brings me to, 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 to my next question, which is really how does the celebration of Dimidi in Singapore sort of differ in, within the Tam Tamil diaspora and you know, within perhaps in, 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 in Tamil Nadu itself? So I think, um, you know, if you look at within Tamil Nadu, definitely I think the rituals would be more elaborate. Um, it's still observed in certain parts of Tamil Nadu and it's definitely more elaborate. The, even the ritual theatre will be more elaborate, um, you know, because of the sheer numbers that might participate in the festival or just the, you know, long history of the conduct of those festivals. Um, so in that sense, I think it would definitely be slightly different. But definitely what you see in Singapore is based on what actually course, emerged from there. So the cycle of events would be the same. But how they observed and the, the kind of elaboration of them would definitely be quite different. And the number of days, etc., you know, that the festival might actually uh, span across would be different. Now, in the diaspora, I think, um, you know, I think I would look at it in, through the broader lens of, like, Mother Goddess worship. I think you will find that, um, you know, when you look at Timidi, there might be some similarities between how it's held here and, like, with diasporas in South Africa or Mauritius. Um, but again, there might be variance in terms of the number of days um, and how the festival is actually split across um, you know how many days relatively so, minor variations I think like. so because the fundamental principle of the festival of Timidi um, you know would be the same having said that there would still be instances where fires walked for um, a different mother goddess like you know it could be for Mariam and that mm. people don't necessarily walk the fire only for Draupadi they could mm. walk it for Mariam and too okay so you know I mean there might be um, you know variants there in terms of um, you know Timidi um, being performed because Timidi literally means walking fire but they could be walking fire to propitiate a different deity. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So, so the act of walking fire is not necessarily only going to be for this particular festival, is what you're saying. Yes. Right. And 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 I think you mentioned earlier that uh, the Sumbayang Datuk Chacha in Malacca is it, um, uh, involves um, some fire walking. Yes. So actually, that's a festival um, that is very much um, you know safeguarded and championed by the Chitti Malacca, the Peranakan Indian community. So it actually takes place at the Mariaman Temple inside Gajaberang, which is actually the sort of settlement that the Chitti Malacca 
um, have there. So um, it's a festival. Uh, the procession actually takes place from the Poyada Vinayagar Murti or the Ganesha Temple, right. um, which is outside in the heart of Malacca town to the Mariamman Temple. And you have devotees carrying the Kaveri and that's on the main day of the festival. But on the eve of that festival, they, you know, there's one member of the Chitti Malaka community who actually carries the tea chitti or the fire pot, and then he walks the fire. So, you know, there are these kind of like elements that also point to, and I think you find it in Singapore as well, that there are some overlaps in terms of the worship of Mariaman and Draupadi. Mm. So you'll find that that happens in in uh, in. Gajaberang, you don't really see so much the presence of Draupadi, but you definitely see the presence of uh, Mariaman. What What do you remember? What do you personally remember from the first, you know, festival that you you attended? So I think you know my earliest memories of a festival would probably be Deepavali at home. Okay. And since we're talking about fire, I should also say that I was someone who You set who something was, on fire. No, I always used to be prone to fire accidents. So <laughs> even the sparkler used to like... Oh, no! <laughs> you know, like I had an instance where the sparkler burned a hole through my T-shirt. Oh, no. So somehow I think, you know... <laughs> <laughs> There's this weird connection uh, that with, with I have. Fire. Yeah, so I mean, Deepavali was always a time that, you know, we would get together with like uh, my grandfather. And so I have very fond memories of that festival. Okay, okay. We, now we've come to, you know, we, we, we've come to the, the quick fire portion of our interview. Okay, who, who do you think is um, the most interesting person in Singapore history? I feel like I need to say someone who is Indian because there is so little talk of them when you look at it as Singapore history and you don't look at it as a micro history. And I think even though I, at the risk of sounding cliched, I want to say Narayana Pillai, not because he is labelled as being the first Indian to arrive here, but simply because there's so little information about a man who mm. is so talked about. Mm. I actually just want to find out more about him as mm. a historian. I want to know if what is said about him in history is something that really... You know, happened the way it is said. Um, you know, um, you know. I want to ask him what footprints he has left behind. I want to know what he looked like right. because there's no image of him. Right. There's all this talk about how he was built up based on certain accounts of him. But I really just want to know more about him because there's so little that's known about him. If I asked you, you know, which historical figure you'd like to have dinner with, it would be... In terms of who I find most interesting, I think I, that would be Munshi Abdullah. Okay. Um, you know, because I think he was an eyewitness to events, not just in Singapore, but in Malacca. And I'd just like to understand, um, you know, what society was like. What do you think is the most like, sort of interesting or underrated part of Singapore's history? Or, or it doesn't have to be Singapore's history, it could be like history in general. So I think maybe when we look at history, I say, you know, rather than look at a time period, I might say that it is actually certain, um, you know, narratives that are underrated, like micro histories within certain communities. 
and maybe what they experienced during a particular time period. Okay. Whether you look at the war period, whether you looked at what they were like in the early 20th century or the late 19th century. And I think, um, you know, to sort of look at history through different lenses and not necessarily only from a national perspective, but also from the perspective of those who might be on the fringe and to just sort of re-understand national history through their lens. Well, that's what we try to do at Biblio Asia. I'm not sure if we succeed, but you know, it's, that's what we try to do. What book do you have on your nightstand? So, I don't have a nightstand, but I do have books on my phone. Okay. And, um, you know, they may not necessarily be constant. Um, I definitely always have dictionaries, whether they're English dictionaries or English to Tamil, uh, Tamil to English dictionaries, because these, uh, um, you know, or any other language that I might actually be looking at, I think it's important. Those are constants. But, you know, in terms of what I'm reading, I have a book that I haven't read yet. So that's something that's on my <laughs> so <it's something laughs> list, you which plan is actually, yeah, which I, I'm waiting to read to find the time. So that's Lords of the Deccan. Lords um, of the? Deccan, Deccan, the Deccan region. So I'm waiting to read who's that. It, I just who's it written by? Anirudh Kani Seti. So it's actually about the Deccan Empire and, you know, um, that aspect of history. So I want to sort of read that. It's waiting for me to read. So I can tell you more about what it's about after I've read it. Complete the sentence. Uh, uh, history is? Something that needs to be revisited. Why? Why, you, why does it have to be revisited? What does that mean? What it means to me is that, you know, we often take certain things for granted, forgetting mm. that history is literally that his story, um, that it is also subjective. And, right. you know, with new evidence coming to light, or just sort of to relook at things in conjunction with things that might have been left out. So I think it's important to revisit history and not take it for granted. Okay, okay. And um, Biblio Asia is? I would say it's actually quite rewarding as a read. Okay. I always get to know things that I didn't know about enough. Okay. Um, you know, and things that I've always just heard about. And I think it's quite rewarding that it's focused on a region that might otherwise be neglected. So, you know, I think it's quite interesting a read as well. Thank you, Nalina, for joining us on Biblio Asia Plus today. Thank you, Jimmy, for allowing me the opportunity to talk about a festival that is so visible, yet not so widely known. Well, to learn more about the rituals behind Timidi, please check out Nalina's article on the BiblioAsia website at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thank you for joining me on BiblioAsia Plus.